This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state, and by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone, and thanks for listening. Urban legends, myths, old wise tales. Each are filled with half-truths, innuendo, and just enough details to make the legends, myth, and tales sound real and feasible. From the stories of the headless horseman to the poodle in a microwave, the world is full of these mostly macabre tales that fill us with fear, misinformation, and above all, doubt. The popular television show Mythbusters ran for 16 years where the hosts would take the legends, myth, and tales and try to prove or disprove each one. Today, Jerry Brisson and I will create our own version of Mythbusters and take on some of the mythical confusion concerning our work around food security. It isn't quite Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd of Ghostbusters, but it's the next best thing when Jerry joins me next to bust some myth on this edition of Food First Michigan. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for being with us. Jerry Brisson joins me as always. Jerry, you're looking great on Zoom, and I look forward to the day we're back in the studio with Mark. Yeah, it's got to be coming soon. I got both my vaccinations, and so I'm fully immunized and uh, feeling a little braver than I was before. Um, I know you've, you've at least started down that path, Doctor. And I yeah, know- I got, yeah, I got the Johnson & Johnson, one and done, baby, just like Ohio State in the tournament. <laughs> oh that was bad that was bad uh so so maybe our we'll we'll get our producer in line and uh and once we're all vaccinated we can all show up at the studio again it'd be fun meanwhile jerry we've got some myths we need to bust on this show today and that is what we mean is probably misconceptions people have about our work of creating a food secure state. So yeah. uh, let's start with myth one. Lead us off. Well, you know, because we talk to so many people and we welcome so many people into this mission, one of the things we found out is that most people come to this work with some preconceived notions of who's hungry and why they're hungry and, and even what should or could be done about it. And so as a result, we've got this list of things that we hear frequently that just isn't right. So myth number one is that most hungry people are homeless. That's myth number one. The guy on the side of the road that says, we'll work for food, that that's who's hungry, that's who's food insecure, and that's just not right. In fact... One in four households in our country experience food insecurity. And even before the pandemic hit, some 13.7 million households, or 10% of all U.S. households, experienced food insecurity at some point. And that was during 2019. 
So this works out to more than 35 million Americans who were either unable to acquire enough food to make their ends meet, or, or they were uncertain of where their next meal was coming from, right? Of course, the pandemic made it worse, um, and we've talked about that several times on the show. But the bottom line is this. Children are the most likely group of people to be food insecure, one and a half times more likely than any other part of the population. And only 6% of, of the people who come for food help are actually homeless. And most of those are living out of their car. They're not people that you see on the side of the road with a sign that says, we'll work for food. So those are the facts about homelessness and hunger. It is not the majority of people who come looking for food. In fact, it's a very small percentage of the total. You know, Jerry, just a few short years ago, Feeding America, our, our national organization, the National Food Bank, uh, did a hunger study, and they, they said that about 49% of the people who come to our food banks nationwide have a job. About 24% of the people we serve are children, that is under the age of 18. About 19% are senior citizens, and 6% are homeless. And that makes up about 96% of all the people that we serve. So I think that that really is a conversation changer. Uh, it's a perspective uh, that gets uh, change when you start looking at the data and at the facts. And it's a myth buster because while we do work with partners across our networks, and certainly Gleaners does with the Capuchin Soup Kitchen with to, to help feed the homeless, then that's a part of our work. But it's not the primary population that we're serving. And when you start really looking at who's hungry and why they're hungry, you really change your your solutions, right? You, you have to do things differently than you thought when it's not the population of people that you were expecting. And so how do we best serve kids and families? That is probably the single largest question that we have. And there's challenges in, in doing that. Like for example, we know that it's a different solution in rural areas than it is in urban areas. And we have different ways that we've got to think about how to reach kids and families wherever they are. We're going to talk about a few more myths coming up that's going to fill this in even more. But not everybody wants to get government help. There are people who just don't want that. They don't feel comfortable. They're embarrassed. They want, they want a different way. Of, of providing for themselves and their family. So you gotta have multiple solutions and it's gotta be aimed at who's actually hungry, not who do you think is hungry. Yeah, I think probably the remarkable thing for this show today will be that we stay disciplined and stay on one myth at a time <laughs> because right now I really wanna jump to another myth, but it's not time. So let's, you know, I just want to reiterate to folks that some of the statistics that you shared, particularly the 13.7 million households, that's here in Michigan. And that was before the pandemic. And when the pandemic hit, we ran all the way up to 19.7 million people that, um, that, that found themselves to be food insecure, many of them for the first time. So it's, uh, it's been a drastic increase. 
But at the same time, it's been amazing to learn the who, as you say, is hungry. And for us, it was it was a lot of folks that were it was the innocent. It was the children. It was the the people who were the most vulnerable, the senior citizens. It was people who were coming to us for the first time. Uh, particularly people in small business employees and uh, people in the service industry. And, you know, now the people that as the economy reengages, uh, that they'll kind of be some of the, the tail, so to speak, of the of the pandemic. So it's a it's a lot of different types of people. It's not just one group. That's exactly right. And every community has some people in it who are food insecure, even very wealthy communities. And I would just remind our listeners who've heard this many times already, you can't tell who's hungry just by looking at them. You cannot. People nope. will not come up to you and talk about that. They won't. You know, there are kids in your children's school who are coming to school hungry, and you will never know because they will never say it. So that's why we have to be diligent. We've got to look at the facts. We've got to know the numbers. We've got to work with places like the Michigan Department of Education to get the real number of kids in every school district who, who are hungry and then devise solutions to make sure there's a safety net that works for them all. So the myth is busted. busted. Most hungry people are homeless. The truth is only 6% of the people that we serve through our food bank networks are homeless. Most of them are not the ones you see on the side of the road with a sign that says, we'll work for food. They're actually living out of their car or otherwise invisible to you. And, um, and we are working to reach the people who are homeless for sure, but certainly all of the other people who are food insecure, particularly kids and families. Well, Jerry, you know, if you're talking about solving hunger, you, there's only one thing that'll really do that. Now, if you're talking about creating food security, that's a much deeper conversation about policies and wages and, and all the work supports that come into play. But there's only one thing that I can think of that solves hunger, and we're going to bust that myth in our next segment. We'll be back in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight, Food First Michigan here, and we're busting myths today, Jerry. And myth number two, I, I, I can't believe we have to bust this, but we really do. I mean, it's just common sense for crying out loud. So. <laughs> well, we We've talked about Maslow's hierarchy many, many times on this show. Here's the myth. Providing food to people doesn't address the root causes of hunger. I'm going to say it again. Providing food for people doesn't address the root causes of hunger. So actually, there's a lot of debate about how to address the root causes of hunger, but if we think that getting a job or getting training or getting education is part of the answer, then we need to make sure that people who need a job or training or education are well nourished because they will not be as successful in any of those things if they don't have the food they need today. Providing food today to meet people's needs today 
is a launch pad for the next success in their life. We know this is true. There has been a huge number of studies about what happens to kids when they don't get enough nourishment for school. Flat out, they don't learn. You cannot address any other societal issue effectively without providing food to people who are hungry today. That's why providing food is a critical piece of addressing the root causes of hunger. And I know I can go on this rant for a long time. I get so tired of hearing people say, well, you're not addressing the root causes of hunger. And I'm like, what? Have you ever worked with someone in your life who's food insecure and watched them struggle with that and spend 80% of a day just trying to figure out how to get food for their kids and family? And all you need is a little experience in real life to go, my gosh, let's take care of this. Let's get hunger off the table so that people can move on to the next success in their life. Well, uh, you're you're well. You keep ranting there, brother, because I you got the amen corner here, because <laughs> the, you know we've said it a bazillion times on this show, and and long-term listeners and uh, subscribers to our podcast will know that if you're hungry, you only have one problem. Because your mind is held captive by the toxic stress of what am I going to eat or what am I going to give my kids? And until that gets solved, you're not free to think about anything else. I mean, you think about the few times in any of our lives that we have been actually truly hungry. And you will realize that it is all-consuming. It, it just eats you from the inside out. And so I just think that this myth of providing food doesn't address the root causes of hunger is just so illogical in my mind. I can't, it makes me want to scream. I mean, come on. That's why we named the show what we did. What's the name of this show? Food First, for crying out loud. Because we know that no one can find their next success until, as you said, hunger comes off the table. And I want to make one more point about this. We know that providing food doesn't solve all problems for all people. We know that. But we also know that if you don't provide food to people who are hungry today, it's going to cost a lot more later to fix the problems that are caused because people are hungry today, whether that's education or healthcare, or even quite frankly, the criminal justice system. People who are hungry get desperate enough to do things that, that they wouldn't otherwise do. And I'm not saying that's most people by any stretch of the imagination, but by choosing not to take hunger off the table for our community, we choose to spend a lot more money to solve problems later. And that is why you've got to address this problems, even to have the money to address the other problems that cause hunger. So I am uh, I am a huge advocate and now for many years of, of saying, food first, folks, food first. Yeah, I agree with you, Jerry. And one more cost factor. You talk, you framed it in, in the cost of money, and certainly that's in healthcare and education and everything. Let me frame it in one other way that we've done a couple of times on this show. When, when we don't put food first and solve hunger, what we lose cannot be what we lose most. What's the most valuable thing is lost human potential.
If they're not well-fed, they won't be well-read. And if that's true in the third grade, it's also true in the third year of college. And that is Michigan's future workforce. So what we lose, what kids lose, is the opportunity to be the best person, the best human, the best best most contributing member of society that they could ever be if food is not on the table so the myth providing food does not address the root causes of hunger is busted busted. and the truth is providing food is a critical part of addressing the root causes of hunger well jerry and i are back in just a moment Food first, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Thanks for listening, everyone. We're back here. And Jerry, before we go on the myth-busting tour here, let's just take a moment to thank Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan, our one of our sponsors. And, uh, you know, those guys have been pretty good to us lately, and we just want to say thank you. Well, we know they care a lot because they've been with us from the beginning to try to get this message out Food security is a problem we can solve. We need to get behind it, and we need to get this work done. We got to change the conversation from one of despair to one of hope, and then we got to do the work. So I'm really happy to be walking with them on this path and delighted to have met many of the people from their companies. And I can tell you, uh, I don't know anybody that cares more. They, they're, they're great people over there. It was no doubt about it. They're walking with us, and they're going to enjoy this show because they're truth tellers over there, and so are we. And so myth number three that we're busting today is really about a pretty newsworthy, top-of-the-mind subject, particularly during the pandemic. So lead us in. Yeah, so here we go. This one this one should get us a, a couple of remarks, I'm sure. So SNAP, which is used to be called food stamps. Some people say SNAP is the best way to solve hunger. You know, that that's, that's the best way to do it. Now, here's what we're going to say about that. We know that food stamps or SNAP is a great program. It's important, it's largely effective, and it has been proven to reduce poverty in America. So we don't want to give the impression that SNAP isn't important or a very good tool to have to solve hunger. It definitely is. But 37% of the people we serve who qualify for SNAP don't get it and don't want it. And and there's reasons why people don't want to enroll in government programs. Sometimes it's because it's difficult. Sometimes it's because they don't want to feel like they're dependent on the government. Sometimes it's because when people need help, they want to quietly take care of it themselves rather than feel like they're putting themselves out in a very public way to say, look, I'm getting government help. And they don't want to go to the store and use that special card. They feel like it's just not something they want to do. Some people just feel that somebody else needs the help more than them. And there's mm-hmm. this huge, uh, um, you know, again, impression that everybody who's who's you know at or near the poverty line just goes running to the government for help and that just simply isn't true and that's why you can't solely depend on government programs to solve this problem you've got to have solutions that work across the spectrum so that again i want to be careful to say snap is important 
it does reduce poverty. It has been effective, but it's not necessarily the best solution for everyone. And and there's some reform that's needed in SNAP too that, that really does deepen some of the problems for the people we serve, particularly the fact that you can use SNAP dollars to buy soda pop and potato chips. That's not healthy. And it's not improving the health of the people that we serve. We've got to look at the program realistically and say, maybe if we reform the parts that don't work, and maybe if we acknowledge that not everybody wants this kind of help, we can make SNAP more effective, more affordable, and give people the solutions they need in total to solve their food insecurity problems. Well, I like those thoughts, Jerry. Let me let me see if I can piggyback a couple of those. Um, and the first one would be, I think part of the value of SNAP that it is it it proved during the pandemic to be the quickest, fastest way to get help to people. It it was a system that could be ramped up quickly, and it was. And then we added another program that was very similar to it called Pandemic EBT. So these were, in, in the midst of this worst public health crisis in a, in a century, the government was able, uh, through the, their state government partners, like uh, the Department of Health and Human Services here uh, in Michigan, was, were able to get food to people via SNAP, be a PEBT quickly. And that was really important because one of the things that I think people learned about our work was that we don't have millions of pounds of food sitting around our warehouses not already committed to go someplace. So when the last March, when the, when the uh, stay-at-home order came into place, so okay, we need to get food banks, we need to get food to people that are in need. And we're like, well, whoa, time out. All the food we have in our warehouse is already going someplace. So the quickest, fastest way to help people was to ramp up SNAP. And I, I really like that aspect of it. But then another point that you make, and I think you make it very well, is that not everybody wants help in this way. And there's never going to be on a multi-layered, multi-faceted problem like food insecurity, there's never going to be one solution. It's going to have to be a multi-pronged approach so that people get the help they want and need how they want and need it. And that way we know that the food is actually going to be consumed. And if it's not consumed, I think you've taught us that that's really waste. The third point I want to piggyback with you is the evaluation of SNAP. Now that seems to be taboo. That seems to be taboo with a lot of people Absolutely. that you can't, you can't touch it, you can't talk about it, you can't evaluate it. You, that's, that's like you're against it. That's not what we're saying. We're saying let's evaluate it like we do any other program so that it can become better, more effective, less costly. We do that with all the programs we run in, within all of our food banks. We do an evaluation. Why can't we do an evaluation of SNAP and find out a way to that we've got a third of the money going for um, to support the food chain? We've got a third of the money in SNAP going to buy what any of us, I think, would say not the best food. And we've got a third of it being used for its intended purpose. So here's a myth. Here's a question I have. 
Why in the world are we trying to solve hunger using SNAP at retail? The highest, most costly food in the entire chain. Tell me that, please. When we have a, a point of sale system that we could program any way we needed to. Yeah, I mean, these are the issues that we've got to be willing to discuss, right? If any, if any program becomes so uh, sacred that it can't be evaluated and talked about for what's working, what's not working, and what could be better, we've made a mistake. SNAP is a great program. It does a lot of things, but it needs to be better. If we're going to have a food secure community, we have to do the best we can with every dollar we get. Now, again, there's the, I know the arguments about it, it supports the economy and it stimulates spending and it, it's very dignified, right? People can go and get what they want. And so I, I understand the value of those things. And I think those are critically important to talk about, but they're not the only critically important things to talk about. Mm. I can tell you this, the three big reasons that people need help in terms of food, you know, needing food for their household is unemployment, a health concern, and the loss of a loved one from their home. Those are the three biggest reasons. So if you have a food program, which is one of the biggest programs in the country, that allows the purchase of foods that are unhealthy, you are driving one of the key causes of food insecurity higher by, by having people get those kinds of foods that make them less healthy. And again, I don't wanna be the health police, but at some point you've gotta say enough is enough. The, 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 the cost of not addressing these issues is very high. It amounts to billions of dollars of year, a year in healthcare costs. So again, these are complicated issues and we're not trying to simplify, but we're trying to say that SNAP being the best program to solve hunger, it's a myth. So the myth is busted. busted. Well, Jerry, let's take a minute and talk about one more myth in this segment. And that myth is about parents and the responsibility they have to feed their own children. Yeah, what say you? Yeah, we hear this a lot. Parents should solve their own problems and take responsibility for feeding their families. And, and you know, here's what's real. Parents are very responsible. But according to the Michigan Self-Sufficiency Study, of the 10 jobs in Michigan that employ the most people, only one pays a living wage. Households with children are the most likely to be food secure due to the cost of raising children. And parents can't change in and of themselves what the market will bear for jobs they're qualified for, have transportation to get to, or are available to them. Many parents are working two or more jobs, often with no healthcare coverage or other benefits, and after 50 or more hours of work in a week, still can't feed their family while paying rent and utilities. I understand people's frustration when they see a parent that they feel is not being responsible to their children. I totally understand why people want to say, why can't they just do this on their own? But the fact of the matter is, parents by and large are doing everything they can. These are people we see and interact with on a daily basis. It is not true that parents don't care. They care deeply, they work hard, and they are trying to make ends meet. And in fact, the need for food help 
fluctuates tremendously because parents are working so hard to try to get this done on their own. So, so if they're not if they're not solving this problem on their own, it's not because they're not trying. It's because they need help, and we should not shame them for needing it. Jerry, I had this conversation with a Michigan legislator last week, and so I asked him. He made the statement, parents should be responsible to feed their own children. I said, couldn't agree with you more. Why do you think that they don't? I got that kind of a pause. Yeah. <laughs> I said, let me tell you why they don't do it. It's because they don't have the food. It's that simple. They don't have the food. If you give them the food or you help them get the food, they're going to take the time to prepare the meals and feed their children. They're not not feeding their – there's a double negative. They're not <laughs> feeding their children because they don't care. They're not feeding their children because they don't have the food. So you and Gleaners and, and, and our network have been very innovative. Uh, there's a grocery model that you guys are, are, have piloted and, and been very innovative with. And then what it does is it gives people the food. And you trust the parents to do what's in their own hearts, and that is to feed, our ch feed their own children. And it's, I, I, don't, I shouldn't oversimplify it, but that's the problem. They don't have the food. And then I also want to refer everybody to our website, which is fbcmish.org. And if you'll just put in uh, self-sufficiency standard, you will see the study that Jerry is referencing about the 10 uh, most uh, uh, populated jobs in Michigan that only one of them plays a self-sufficiency standard wage. So I don't, I tell you what, this is, this is probably the easiest myth in the world to bust right here. Yeah. And again, what we hear from people is parents should solve their own problems and take responsibility for feeding their families. And what we know is parents in fact are very responsible and do everything they can to feed their families. So the myth is busted. busted. Well, that's our myth busted. Jerry and I are back to wrap up this edition of Food First Michigan in just a moment. Thanks for listening, everyone. Jerry Brisson, the myth buster extraordinaire, and myself, Dr. Phil Knight. Jerry, uh, I love this show because it just cuts through the stuff and get straight to the truth. Yeah, and I, I am quite aware that there would be people that would love to argue about this. So maybe we'll pick some of these myths and in some future shows, bring some people on who, who have a strong and different point of view, and we'll, we'll learn more about uh, our work as we do that. But I can tell you, we've been at this a long time, Doctor, and there's some things that people should know about this work that don't necessarily follow the conventional what people believe out there. So uh, it's, it's a lot of fun uh, doing this with you. Uh, but more importantly, you know, if we're going to solve this problem, we've got to understand the truth of it and the complexities of it. And we can't just simplify things. We've got to make them what they are. Some things are simple, but many things aren't simple. And uh, what do I like to say? The less you know about a problem, the easier it is to solve, right? <laughs> 
Right. So as we continue to, to let people know about what this problem really is, I hope we can do two things. One is say, we do know a lot about what this problem really is. And that's one of the reasons we believe we can solve it because mm -hmm. we know a lot more than we used to, and we're willing to face the truth, whatever it is. And so let's have it up there. Let's look at it. Let's face it down. And then let's get the resources we need to actually solve the problem. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I love the thought. You know, it's the idea that we we bring out our perspective on some of these myths that affect our work, right? And as you said, there are people who will probably vehemently disagree with us on some of our myth-busting logic. Um, and that's okay. That's okay. We're, I think we are a group that wants to add chairs to the table. We do not want to take chairs away. We think the community, this is a community problem, and it will take the community to solve it, and that means you have to have the voices of the community in the room in order to, to sit down and have the dialogue necessary to create solution. And that includes, quite candidly, the perspective that comes from the people that we serve, the client perspective. And without that, there's, there's, it's just, it's not right. It's not best. There's a bit of saviorism in that. And I don't think that's what's in any of our hearts. We want to come alongside of people and help them where they're at. Not worried about where we wish they were, but right where they're at and come alongside and, and give the help that is needed. Now that we can't, as you said, food doesn't fix everything in somebody's challenged life are you know the uh, problems that they're encountering but it is very difficult to solve any problem until you solve this one yep that's exactly right and so we we've got to stay focused on on making sure that we have a safety net that in fact works for everyone and when we get that in place we can have greater hope that the other root causes of hunger can be solved and so it's been our purpose, by and large, on this whole show to drive that idea forward. And as you say, we know we need to bring more people to the table, people who win when this problem is solved. We, and, and we have. And we've heard from people from healthcare, people from government, people from education. You know, we've heard from, from business owners and, and other leaders in the community who realize that if their uh, employees are coming to work hungry, that's not good for their business, right? So how do we work together with everyone who has a vested interest in, in this to resource this problem correctly? And that just doesn't mean more. It means better too. It means yeah. making improvements to things that we know don't work and not being afraid to say, this is good, but it needs to be better. Well, Claire Babineau Fontenot, our CEO for Feeding America, uh, said that she wanted to add chairs to the table. And I love the imagery of that. But let me just tell you, if you're going to come sit at this table, here's a, here's a condition, I think. You have to come ready to listen in order to learn, not just to reply. And I, yeah. I think when we come ready to listen and to learn, then we can gain. But when we only come to listen to reply we're only going to lose 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great principle to solve any complex problem for sure. Or sometimes as I'm leaving the house and talking to my wife, listening to learn is the most important thing I can do for the whole day. <laughs> yeah. You don't well, have to get it has, too complicated. <laughs> it's universal, universal application for that principle, I think. We would all serve ourselves better to listen to learn. Well, Jerry, it's been a great show, and thanks for your thoughts. 30-plus years in the making, you've been in this work, and you're a thought leader recognized nationally for it. So thanks for being the myth buster today. <laughs> well, Doctor, I think we did it together, and I appreciate you, my friend. Uh, you know, there's lots of work to do, but it's, it's work worth doing, so let's get it done. Jerry, I like when we do these Mythbusters shows. I do, too, and this was Mythbusters 1, and next week we're going to do Mythbusters 2 with Myths 5, 6, and 7. Well, time for a little food for thought. Reportedly, Aristotle said, It is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. And I might add, and not become angry about it. And perhaps if Aristotle were alive today to utter this gem of wisdom, he would replace educated with developed. A mind that is developed, especially in critical thinking, is one who can hear, listen, and learn from someone with whom they do not agree. Challenging the myths around our work is important. And today, Jerry and I have done just that. And we will continue to take on the unchallenged, undisciplined thoughts about our work, why it matters, and what is the potential for and the consequences of a hunger-free community. This is the kind of thinking that solves big problems, a philosophy that adds chairs to the table, but with the idea that solutions for our toughest challenges will always need to be bigger than just me. To do that, you can help us by keeping food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.